Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the chance that you have given us to come together to worship you in song and in the, the studying of your word. Lord, we ask that our ears be open so that we may hear clearly. Give vision to our eyes that we may see the path. Guide our feet that we may walk that narrow way. But give strength to our hands that we may do your work in light of your unfailing love. It is in your name we pray. Amen. And so today as we continue in our, uh, the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul is unpacking a few things, but I have to ask you a question. What's the difference between ethics and rules or ethics and rights? Is there a difference? Is a Christian ethic different than following a set of rules? We're going to contemplate that today, and this is a question that has to be answered in every generation and every person who calls on the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. For Paul, he was writing to the Corinthians to answer some problems, some that were arisen out of the church and how to live life. Last week we talked about the, the call or the the, the uh, role of leadership and where authority comes from and the infighting that churches can get themselves into when they are trying to all have a different point of view heard in light of a human perspective. And so if you remember last week, there was a struggle over authority of whose teachings was accurate. Was it based on who taught them? Was it based on Apollos, who was apparently this charismatic leader in the church? Was it the words of the Apostle Paul? Or was it something else? And Paul admit that anything that is not based on Jesus Christ has no foundations. And he says, as a builder builds, his work will be tested. And if he builds in veins or he builds off course, those will be burned up in the fires of judgment. His soul may not be sacrificed, but his rewards will. And so as he unpacks this letter, this week he asks to think about Christian ethics, which is higher than the law. For the law is a system of do's and don'ts. It's the, these black and white things. It's you can do this, you can't do that. But the problem with the law is application. That's why today in our country we have a law and we have lawyers. Lawyers' job is to help fight for the rights of those who either are accused of doing something wrong or who are accusing others of doing things wrong to them. You know, it should be clear-cut where if this happens, then this is the response. But we know following our legal system, there's nothing clear-cut about the law. It has to be interpreted for how do you read that one law? Well, how have they taught that law before? You have to interpret the rules in order to learn to live by them. And Christian ethics is the same way. You have to learn to interpret life differently than this world. And the people in Corinth struggled with this. These were Gentiles who had come into the faith. There were some Jewish people who were there in Corinth who also came to the faith. And so there was a difference. Well, you know, Judaism is the fulfillment in Christ. So if you're going to become into our religion, then you have to become a Jew. And so there was arguments over that. Paul at one point said that, be as you were called. If you are already a Jew you became a Christian, live that way. Because there was nothing wrong with the Jewish lifestyle, the, the laws and the, the rituals and everything like that, if done in the proper respect. 
I mean, I'm always fascinated studying in the dietary laws of the Jew. Back in the day without refrigeration and things like that, just follow their practices. You know, plagues missed them in many of the the ancient world events when plagues just took out uh, multiple populations. And so many would see the Jews as kind of this problem or something in their society. Well, why aren't they getting sick like the rest of us? And now as science has advanced, we learn that a lot of these plagues were carried by rodents. Do you know that? And they would carry from one grain silo to another grain silo. Because of Jewish laws, guess what they did every year? They swept their grain silos out completely, and they started fresh with a a dedication and all this kind of stuff. And so they were avoid a lot of these plagues because they didn't have old stuff laying around. Because it was cleaned out and swept, ready for the new harvest. They didn't have the same problems and bacteria growing because they started anew each year. Funny, isn't it? And they had many other things. You avoided pork. Pork goes bad real quick. I mean, you got, it, whenever I cook pork, I always overcook it because I'm scared I'm going to be within that range. But then you ask your chef, well, if you cook it that, it's just going to be dry and chewy. And usually mine is. So I don't know if you want to come over to have my pork chops unless you, you like to chew. It's a good exercise, though. But there's many things in their laws that actually help serve them in the physical world. It it provided for them and and all this kind of stuff. But the Gentiles lived differently. It was very foreign to them. I mean, their lifestyle was very different from that of a Jew. And they were being called, and they were called into community to live with each other. And people were, were, were struggling with how to live. And so Paul said, if you, if you were called as a circumcised, live that way. If you're uncircumcised, live that way. For it's really a matter of the heart. And so Paul was trying to teach those who wanted to follow the rules that the rules were good, but they didn't necessarily apply in every situation. And those who had no rules that it's okay because you need to learn how to follow Christ because that is the real way you follow. He was talking about an ethic that was above the law. It was a way to interpret interpret how to live your life in the situation you find yourself in. He wasn't calling you to radically change. I mean, sometimes we miss this in the Baptist church. In order to reach others, we require them to change to come to us. But over and over in these last few chapters, Paul is saying, I change to go to them. Just earlier in uh, the end of chapter 10, he says, Uh, To the Jews I became as a Jew. To the outsider of the law I became as an outsider of the law. To the weak I became weak. That's how the incarnation works. God didn't come down and say, You all have to be righteous and holy in order for me to commune with you. That's how history had worked. And we saw how human lived up to that. We failed over and over again. That special group of Jews that were called out to give the revelation of God to the world, they fell even though prophets spoke directly the word of God to them. But Jesus Christ descended, became as a human just as any of us. And he lived a life of holiness that we couldn't live and as example for us to live by. He had the same temptations, but yet was without sin. He had to become as we were in order for us to be saved. And so for Paul, it wasn't about what was right and wrong, but it was about what was good and just in the eyes of the gospel. 
And so for everything Paul did, it was always in light of the gospel. It wasn't this law that, of do's and don'ts of white, and bl- white or black that was rigid and cold. But it was about the never-failing love, the amazing grace of the gospel. He begins this section in chapter 3 as we, we change over in chapter 4 with this idea of the ministry of the apostles. So, you know, that sounds great in title, these apostles. But have you looked at their lives? Some of them didn't make it very far before they gave up their life as a martyr, as a witness to the gospel. All but John ended it early. Apostle Paul was martyred. Peter, name them all. They were martyred. Not only did they lose their lives, but they were shamed in many situations. They were considered weak by all world standards. They were a motley crew of individuals. They weren't from the elite, the educated class. They weren't from some high position of authority. They came from your common folks. They were fishermen and tax collectors. They were zealots. And they were friends. And they were fathers. But from that motley little group... The world was changed. For they were what was weak and despised by this world. But through God and through this gospel, they changed the world. They changed how we keep our calendar. Nothing was the same after them. Because as Paul saw and as we need to see in the gospel, it is not by our human effort that people come to this amazing grace. It is only by the actions of God and the divine. If we believe in the supernaturalness of Jesus Christ, we need to believe He still works that way today. That He still works in the hearts of people to change them. And it is not to live by this complete set of rules of do's and don'ts, but it is to live with an ethic of the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus Christ taught on that sermon, that we are to interpret the law different. It is about the heart, not about the actions. Because we can do everything flawless indeed and still be miserable, evil people. And we can do everything wrong and have a truly loving heart that longs for the gospel to be spread. But now there is a balance. Over and over again, Paul was careful to define there is a balance between what you can do and what you can't do. And for him, he looked at sexual immorality very stringently. Brings it up in two different chapters in our last little set. Because it is a sin that is not an outward sin. It was an inward sin. It was something that defiled our very being. Because we are to be this temple of God, a place for God to dwell and to share his love. We can't live anywhere and have a defiled temple. We have to keep it pure and clean. In chapter 5, there is something careful here I want us to know about how we interact with the world. In verse 12, it tells us this. It says, It is not those inside the church whom we are to judge. It is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Sorry, it was answering a question. Let me back up. It might make more sense. For what have, I, what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those. I'm sorry, I butchered that one bad. 
But what Paul is saying here, let me just rephrase it. If we're going to judge people, it is only those inside this building. If you spend most of your time judging those outside the world for how they live their life, you're missing the point. That is God's job. It is God's job to judge those outside. We are to look at the folks inside this building because we want to set an example for the world to live by. If we are not judging our own people, who will? The world certainly will, and they will label us for it. They will call us hypocrites and bigots and all these things if we are not living by the way God has called us because we have given the world how to judge us. And believe it or not, they may hear this Bible and they may use it against us because they don't understand it. They have not received that grace, the eyes to read and interpret it for our lives. And so Paul over and over again talks about this thing that corrupts us. He says, you have to be careful on the witness you say. If you go about judging everybody else and never turn back, it's kind of like that parable about the, the log in your eye. If you go about judging the world, it says you have this log in your eye. And they have a speck in theirs. They're a speck because they, they do not know the word of God. They do not know him as their savior. They do not know what's right hand from their left. They're ignorant to the ways of God. But yet you know and you do the same. That's why you have a log and not a speck. He says, if you want to reach the world, first remove that log from your eye so that you may see clearly, it says. And he talks about lawsuits. Why are we suing one another? Why are we living as if we are the world? He said, we are living a community that can get along with one another. He says, if you are wronged by a fellow believer, just be wronged. It's hard to live that way, though, isn't it? Because we want what is ours. We want what is our right. We want what we deserve. Because that's what the world teaches. Talks about principles in marriage. For Paul, he didn't like marriage. Did you know that? The guy who, whose uh, famous words are quoted nearly every sermon I've attended, every uh, wedding I've attended about love. Paul was kind of anti-marriage. He said, it's better to be like me, single, so that you may focus on the gospel, that you may not be troubled by this world. That's what he says. Warning to those who, who, want, who seek marriage. He has a chapter here. He said, it's better not to get married because then you get tangled up with all these worldly affairs. But then he concedes, he says, marriage is God's answer to some of these other problems. If we are weak in the flesh, which most of us are, there is something honorable about marriage. But you have to live it in a right way. But we all have to look at these in courting of the gospel. But for Paul, he was freed because he did not seek a spouse. Free to live the way that God had called him to. He was a steward with his time. He didn't have to worry about providing for a wife or for kids. He was able to preach because that was his call. Whether he'd have been married or not, he'd have still been called to preach. But he was free from all of that and able to do the mission that God set him out for. And so we get to chapter 10 today. In light of what we've heard, he starts talking about idolatry. And so in the pagan world that the Corinthians lived in, there was temples to every kind of God you can imagine. 
And these temples had sacrifice systems. So if there was a multitude of God, there was a multitude of sacrifices every given day. And this sacrifice meat just couldn't be spread around with just the priests. And without refrigeration, it had to be uh, distributed. And it was distributed in the market. So if you lived in a place like this, more than likely the food or the meat that you were buying, buying from the marketplace was sacrificed to some idol. Well, for some, they, they didn't want to have anything to do with those pagan temples. And so if the meat was sacrificed there, they didn't want to be even thought of of contributing to the idols that work there. And for others, it didn't make any difference whatsoever because they used logic. They used their, their sense that God had called them. If we worship the one true God and all these other gods are false, then what was sacrificed to something false was not really sacrificed at all, but it was just some kind of weird ritual that these other people did. And I got a bargain on my meat. Everybody likes a bargain, right? So if you get a good price on your meat, what does it matter? We don't believe in those idols anyways, so I can live that way. My conscience is clean. That word conscience keeps coming up in this chapter. So what does it mean by conscience? For some people, their conscience guards them from doing things that are, are, are wrong, these kind of things. It should, should uh, guide you in your life, but we can't rely on our conscience for every decision. That's why we've been given the Scriptures. That's why we've been given the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, to help guide us as well. But for some who have a weak conscience, they didn't want to be associated with the idols. So it would offend them to eat anything that they knew was sacrificed to an idol. So Paul kind of cuts the medium here. He said, basically, just don't ask. So don't ask. Don't ask if this was sacrificed. If you ask and they said yes, well, then you need to kind of abstain from it. So if you were bothered about eating meat that was sacrificed, not, just don't ask. Get the good deal. Say, hey, how much was it? I'll give you two bucks less than that. If they take it, go ahead and go. You've got to be stewardship with your money, right? It's all about marketing what, what God has given you, those resources. So just don't ask. But that doesn't satisfy everyone. And said, for some, if you were invited to a friend's house who is a non-believer, a pagan, and they offer you food, go if you feel so inclined. Don't turn down because you know they're unbelievers, but associate with them if you can. If they put something in front of you to eat, eat. If you go to another person's house and, and, and this, this is be who you need to be to those people. Do what you need to become to be an insider so that you may win them to Christ. Because Paul over and over again crafted this mold between the insiders and outside. For him, there was a clear distinction between those outside the faith and those inside the faith. Those inside the faith had to live by a different set of guidelines than those outside the faith. But he also had a clear vision of the gospel and his mission to teach or to preach to the Gentiles. And he said, in order to reach outside... You have to go outside. If you stay inside all of your life, you will never reach those outside the doors. So in evangelism, we don't go to Christians to preach the gospel. Now that's a good pep rally, but that's not a mission to spread the message. We go to the people who haven't heard. We go to the lost. We go to the ones who need the message of Jesus Christ that offers hope beyond whatever this world can offer but we have to go outside. But when we go outside, we have to speak the language of an outsider. 
We have to come to them in the place that they are and speak in the language that they speak so that they may understand the gospel. We don't go to them and say, in order for me to preach to you, you have to first do this, this, and this. doesn't work. You've already lost them. But many ways in our actions, we teach people that's how you have to be. That in some of our uh, forms of evangelism now, just bring them to church. Just bring them to church. Well, many people don't want to come here because they don't want to dress in a certain way. You say, oh, it's fine. Just come how you are. But is it really fine? Because if you look totally different and you stick out, you don't necessarily feel comfortable to be there. That's why different forms of Christianity have popped up in recent years. You ever been to a cowboy church? Their message is come as you are. They're going to a rough and rowdy crowd. Some people are true cowboys. Some people just like country music. But they're actually doing something that we need to start thinking like. They're going and being for those people something different. They started in the rodeos, and then they started a church after that. But they were authentic in who they were. They were a Christian when they were on the job, and they were a Christian when they came to church. Do we live that way? Are we a Christian on Sunday and a Christian on Monday? Paul says you need to be. But you need to be to the insiders differently than to the outsiders. But to the outsiders, you need to become as one of them in order to teach the gospel. It gets confusing, doesn't it? And it's hard to navigate. That's why for Paul, there wasn't a clear set of do's and don'ts. Because for some groups, you can, and some groups, you can't. Dancing and drinking, big, big thing in the Baptist world, isn't it? Do we go out dancing? Do we go out drinking? Many of you would say, no way, we don't do that. Bet you some of ours do. So how do you live? Is dancing all wrong? It's not wrong in the Bible. Even David danced. He danced very kind of uh, raunchously at one point where his wife made a comment because he was showing his rear. It's in the Bible. If you don't believe me, read it. There's dancing in the Bible. He danced like that because he was praising God. He was happy. His heart overflowed with his joy, and he gave it all to the Lord. That's why white men don't dance, right? Because when we dance, we kind of look like that. But when you're not ashamed of the gospel, and you're not ashamed of what people think, this is how you live. It is a response of your heart with your outward motion. Sometimes our talent doesn't keep up with our heart. That's why I'm glad we have some of our musical talent. They can show what our heart wants to say. But he goes on, he talks about, for some, you, you abstain, just because you can eat that meat. If where you go, if it bothers though you're with, don't do it. He said, I would become a vegetarian if I needed to, for the sake of the gospel. Would you? If you had friends that were unbelievers, and they were vegans, and they invited you over to dinner, do you bring a thing of fried chicken? Because that's how some of us act. We want to bring what we believe to them and let them change. But for Paul, it was not accommodating to the world, but it was living in a way the world could listen to us. Then he goes on in verse 23. He says, All, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. 
This flashes back to chapter 6, verse 12. He said almost the identical thing. So all of this is wrapped up into one point. It is how to live a Christian ethic in a worldly world. It's how to live a Christian ethic in a pagan society. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. That is probably the hardest information that we are given here from this text. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. It doesn't mean it's helpful. We have to rethink everything we do in life in light of the gospel. If it means abstaining from food for some, then abstain. If it means not doing this or doing something else, you have to look at it in light of the gospel. It says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. This is the vision that Paul saw. It's all about the love of neighbor. This is the Shema. This is the Jewishness in him living out. It is first honor God for what God has done in light of the gospel. But then do to others that golden rule that we're taught in kindergarten, that the Bible teaches, that, that Jesus taught. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Just because you can doesn't mean it's helpful. Think about the person that you're doing such and such with or the ones that may see you. He goes on, he says, Eat whatever is sold in the market. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. And it goes on and on and on. In 31 it says, So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God. That is the punchline of how to live in a Christian ethic. In all things you do, do to the glory of God. If your station is life as a, school, as a student, study as if you were studying for the Lord. If you're flipping burgers, flip burgers as if you were flipping them for the Lord. If you're growing crops, grow your crops as if you're growing them for the Lord. If you're into technology, use technology for the glory of the Lord. But whatever you are called... Whatever you do, do all things through the lens of faith. Don't look at it from my right to do such and such. I will do this. That's how the world lives. We can't look at our rights anymore because we are servants of God. What we look at is what, the glory, what brings glory to God. So whether you eat or whether you don't, if you're a vegan, if you're a meat eater, carnivore. If you're a paleo, if you're into keto, one of these, you know, that's about a religion unto itself. Whatever you drink, drink it as you do it unto the Lord. Whatever you do with your hands, do all things to the glory of God. Join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Lord, teach us to see with our heart. Teach us to see through the lens of faith so that we may know how to live in this dark place so that we can be whatever we need to be for the sake of the gospel. 
Lord, it's not an easy answer. And we can only get bits and pieces of how we should truly live. For each and every generation is different, and we have to live out our faith in our time and our place so that we may truly be your witness on earth, that we may find at the end of time that as we have built a life on your foundation, if our life was worth living when the fires of judgment come up, will they withstand the test? Or will our life be wasted? We know that we are in your hands and that we may find glory, but Lord, let our life truly be worth living. And that when we enter into glory, we can hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. It's in your name we pray, amen. And now at this, at this time, if Christ has stirred in your heart, in a way that he hasn't before, and you're ready to follow him for maybe the first time ever, or you need to seek him in a different way, and you want to share this with the church, please come forward. If your heart is aching and you need a prayer, come forward. Maybe you've just been joining us as visitors for some time, and you're ready to become a member of this congregation so that you may truly be an insider with us. Please come forward at this time. Make me a servant. 